Welcome back to the hot seat. Today's guest needs no introduction. Emmett Lewis has been a long time mentor of mine and really the origin of a lot of the information that I share here on this channel, especially regarding flexibility. He has over two decades of experience coaching specifically circus arts, so flexibility, handstands, and more. Today, we're gonna to be delving deep into flexibility training, how you can work to become more flexible, how you combine it with other disciplines such as strength, and we're also gonna talk, of course, about handstands. I really hope you enjoy this conversation and deep dive with Emma Lewis. Not in this podcast, maybe we could in this podcast, yeah. um, have like a chat about what your thoughts of how I should approach yeah. going back into training. I think since I stopped doing hand balancing, it's not necessarily been as much of a priority. Like I haven't had the requirement to, yeah. to like I don't need splits. There's yeah. no no day to day life stuff. That I need split. So I'm like, why do I? But I kind of want to get back to that point. Each time I go to approach it, I feel like I know roughly what I should be doing, but I'm kind of uncertain as to what yeah. I should do and how much. And you know, yeah, it's always that thing, just like how to flirt with that line. First thing for flexibility is just relax stretching. Just see what's what's in there, the body, but the body's just not giving you because it's just like rusty. Mm -hmm. That's always would be the first kind of thing. Actually, that's a good point because when I've tried to go back into flexibility stuff, I'm like, oh, I'll go back into doing some loaded things or some more advanced yeah. flexibility. But um, I've had better success probably the last month of just trying to do some stretching every day. Yeah. And just sitting in stretches. Yeah. Basically, just chill, work on breathing, just get like, because it's all in there. It's already trained. You've done the hard development work. Mm -hmm. So then it's just like, okay, what's still in there? How can we get this out? And we just have to basically expose the body to it to remind that it can do it. And like kind of chill, relaxed stretching is pretty good for it. Yeah. Probably just do your own follow alongs. Yeah, <laughs> literally follow my own videos. Yeah, yeah. Do do what I say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah. That's what I do with a lot of people. I send them your videos and like, oh, I need to thing. I was flexible. Just do this for a while. Come back to me. <laughs> What's well, the 20 minutes every day? And yeah. Or just pick some of Tom's ones or if they're like, I don't know, just give them a selection of them and just go, here's three or four ones, different lengths. Just mm -hmm. do these for a while and see what happens. I feel almost static flexibility gets a little bit of a bad rap. Maybe it's not quite as sexy as a yeah. thing to communicate. Like this is the thing. It gets a bad rap in our quarters where if like you go into other quarters, it's like the only game in town. Yes, so yes. It's definitely thing. Like if we look, this thing, static flexibility has got more people more flexible than any other method of flexibility training. Mm -hmm. It's also failed more people because bigger sample size. Yeah. So then you just have to think basically how uh how do you apply it and when's it applicable yeah i guess as a beginner it's probably although tempting to jump into the yeah active splits or crazy stuff yeah. like probably just just start with some static flexibility yeah basically start there because that's the basis of all the stuff we build on mm -hmm. and then like all the loaded and all the fancier methods are just like adding weight to the bar for flexibility and we see this like a lot like the people who get the best results who are training in terms of speed and the more flashy ones are the ones who've done a lot of like passive stretching to the point that they kind of maxed I don't know, they maxed out their gains but they got very close to it mm. and then we throw in like even basic PNF or basic short ISOs and then suddenly they're getting like mind-blowing results <laughs> it's just like it is just one of the ways and like that's the thing it's like we look you know dance gymnastics all these kind of disciplines that have a high flexibility demand they basically do that and do dancing they do and that's the, a, you know, and that's a large chunk of it. They do the static work yeah. and then they use it basically. Yeah. I guess is is it to some extent like if you're doing a lot of static flexibility, it's because you're holding, it's still a contraction. You're kind of doing like 
high volume work at a low intensity yeah basically it's, it's that kind of thing of like yeah you can do a lot of low a lot of low intensity static work and slowly progress but i always think of the static flexibility is just like it gets what's in the body out and a lot of people are more flexible than they think mm-hmm. they just haven't used it enough but but you just basically just exposure to the positions suddenly a lot more comes out if the, there's the main problem with static flexibility is no one really has a progression method of like okay you're at this level you need to focus on these stretches and do them for a while and then when they come less effective okay you change to these ones whereas there is kind of just like a kind of throw paint at the wall and see what works <laughs> effect a lot of the time so there's like thing like on yoga it's like yoga has made a lot of people immensely very flexible but it hasn't worked for other people but static stretching might have worked for them yeah, yeah. like kind of alternating between positions if the set positions or sequences you're using were a bit different i see so what might be some of the reasons that stat you know you get the people who are like our oh, static stretching doesn't work for me or my body yeah. is incapable of being flexible generally i'd say one it's i'd say one of the things is just like cross-sectional muscle mass like if someone's really big you just think of a big elastic band it's a shit analogy but we we'll use it anyway <laughs> if i have a really small elastic band and i'm just using the leverage of my body weight it's pretty easy to make it elongate if I have a big fat one, like a big jump stretch band, it needs more load on it to elongate. So that's when we might need like different leverage positions or people are not giving things their due or giving things long enough to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, or just like the positions are too, like there is this thing with like a lot of stretch, stretching, it makes you vulnerable and it makes you kind of like expose things where you're like, oh, I haven't been in this position. I just need to actually learn to tolerate the position. Mm-hmm. This thing of stretch tolerance is like, oh, how can I not just like survive in the position, but thrive in it? Yeah. And that comes back like a lot of people are just pushing things too far. It's like, oh, maybe if you're the sub-max, but holding for longer times. These so, kind of things. so almost like you have two ends of the spectrum. You've got the person who's maybe too strong or the muscle mass is too big. So yeah. the actual the intensity is too low. To yeah. the and then the people who are pushing it too far. Yeah. Who then equally yeah, uh, exactly. aren't getting the benefit. So it's definitely one of those things like a lot of people like they do a stretch, but they're not like just a normal static stretch, whatever whatever muscle group, they're just not giving us enough time almost sometimes to get over that kind of like, oh, I do 30 seconds, I do 60 seconds. So then you need to hold it longer, particularly at the start. Like you can get a lot more out. The more advanced you are, the shorter you can get away with because you're mm-hmm. more used to this releasing into that structure. Yeah. Whereas when you're doing it, the body wants to recoil from this action because it's quite, it's just novel. And then you never get a choice chance to just like go, Ah, as Kit Lachlan would say, yeah, and just let go into it. I think that's that's interesting because certainly uh, we we're talking yesterday about studies when it comes to flexibility. You see a lot of a lot of the studies reference either like fifteen seconds, thirty seconds, sixty seconds, or they kind of make up that number. Yeah, you very rarely see stuff that's sort of holding positions longer than that. They're sort of like, oh, the the benefit is at thirty seconds, and then it kind of just tapers off. I'm going to be very judgmental, but I'd need to see videos of people being instructed in these positions to see how they're actually being coached. Mm-hmm. A lot of things, like when you get into positions, what people are choosing for the studies are just bad choices of positions. Like the most common hamstring one seems to be like, sit on the edge of a bench, put your leg out straight, and then lean forward into yeah. it. That's a very shit choice for someone who isn't used to flexibility training. It's better to have them like standing up and do like a classic one leg hip hinge. Mm-hmm. as a replica of that it's an easier position for a lot of people particularly when you deal with like say just hamstrings as an easy one like 
you're looking for about 70 degrees of hip flexion is considered the normal population range. You're sitting yeah. on the bench, it's already at 90 degrees. <laughs> so obviously like, the back's going to go. It's already passed. Yeah, past what they're saying. So there is this kind of stuff or just like sit and reach tests, which is... Yeah, so the sit and reach. It's not even a passive stretching position because it's active because you're reaching. It's mm -hmm. in the name. It's like there's a target in front of you. Like it's not a passive position for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Like particularly if it's difficult to sit on the floor or if it's not just like it's difficult to sit on the floor when like oh, I feel like my pelvis hasn't rolled over. There's like I can sit on the floor, but then there's like a point where like you have to be able to get the pelvis over more to get it effectively sit on the floor. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, it's an interesting choice, actually. I get what would make uh, something a good stretch for someone. Like, how would they know if a stretch was not uh, good? Hmm. In internal stuff, it's like, this is the thing. It's always, I'm always hesitant to talk about sensation mm -hmm. because sensation is like, you go, oh, you should feel this in your hamstrings. Like, I feel it in my lower back. But the position looks right. Yes. Maybe yeah. that's where you're just feeling it. Or the position's off, obviously we can use that as a guide, or we feel it in my calves or other stuff. So then it's always like, what is the person saying? Is it targeted in the right zone? It's like, oh, I feel it in my hamstring, but how do you feel it in the hamstring? Is it a long pull? Is it slightly more medial? Is it more lateral? Is it like centered on a point? Is it high? Is it low? There's much more nuance to be got from that. So generally, like, it's in some ways you're better off almost ignoring the sensation not if it's a noxious sense that you feel like I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to say like from that, you know, what it, when it's, it's, it's almost hard going back to your point about people stretching too hard and not getting the benefit out of it. Like yeah. understanding how that sensation should be in good flexibility training. Yeah. And that's one that's only built up over time. Like it's kind of like, you know, there's definite subgroups of people. There's people who just stretching feels pleasurable to the body. It feels nice. Mm -hmm. And then there's other groups who stretching just does not feel nice. And like I'm in that group which is stretching does not feel nice to me ever it's like okay cool I'm good at it I can do get what I want out of it mm -hmm. but I've learned to build up this sensory lexicon where like I've done it so much I know it's not bad it's just not pleasant yeah I mean going back to sort of mentioning about me getting back into doing more training after a prolonged break I noticed that that sensation of stretching felt more uncomfortable like I, I actively didn't want to do it because I was like oh, it's yeah. just not that nice but then as I've done just some more frequent passive stuff i'm like yeah. actually no this is a really nice like this is a very relaxing position and yeah I, that that sensation has started to change and almost compare it to I'm, I'm very very bad at running but i've tried to like make myself do some form yeah. of cardio or some running and i've actually almost began to like twist that or, or go over that mountain to the, it becoming enjoyable yeah. rather than just purely discomfort yeah i think that's similar like in a lot of things we train they're not pleasant when we start doing them no and like it goes weightlifting try any aerial discipline like the first i don't know three to six months of aerial disciplines are just like i'm bruised and sore <laughs> from the equipment you know climbing it's like oh i'm learning climbing oh my forearms are pumped the fuck and they actually just hurt yeah your fingers are just broken yeah like, just like these kind of things but we kind of persevere through them because mm -hmm. there's something where it's just like an accessory to our normal training that willingness to persevere through to find the kind of enjoyment in it mm -hmm. can be difficult where if it's something that's a bit more inspirational like, oh climbing i want to take a bouldering have a lot of fun it's challenging there's a bit more to it that can be encouraging yeah yeah and there's, there's a a feeling of maybe accomplishment that's more immediate than the progress of flexibility yeah like it's a slow burner yeah exactly and there is like this thing like you can slowly over time of teach people to enjoy it but some people just they're never going to get to the point of enjoying 
Mm-hmm. I stretch like getting in and going, oh yeah, I feel great. You know, for me, it's like, oh, I do the stretches. I have this kind of threat response almost or yeah. feeling where it's just like, it's just not enjoyable thing. Then afterwards, like, oh, it feels loose. The effect of it is felt afterwards, but the position itself. The, the time in it. Yeah. Still has not, that yeah. threat sensation. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, We you mentioned earlier uh, flexibility being like an elastic band and that being a shit analogy. Yeah. Like how would you describe what like what is flexibility what is the ability to be flexible both in the structure itself like what's happening in the body uh, yeah. but then also maybe the the psychological component as well first kind of thing we think of like when we stretch a muscle we put a muscle on the stretch it wants to return to its kind of normal working length so is this kind of response is it kind of going into contraction there's a bit of contraction mm-hmm. but then there's like another level of like oh i can release into it we have all these parallel elastic components which to take the terms from Mel Ziff, where it's like all this kind of, I, I like to think of it like the muscle cells or fibers are like holding on and they're holding on, but then they realize, oh, I can let go and the load can stretch, go into this kind of more passive tissue. So that goes from like an active contraction to almost passive one. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the next level is learning just to release into the structure. One of the guys we use well is like getting heavy into the positions. Then there's like, you know, there's just different reflexes. There's the muscle reflex, the spinal cord reflex, all these kind of things that feed into it. That kind of like, oh, we see this thing, like I can get a short-term acute thing that almost has an analgesia effect. You're used to the sensation or it's getting less less of a threat response. And this is where you see like your body gets used to the sensation. So we can stretch, say I can stretch my pec, I can do a really good deep stretch. And then if I test and retest my hamstring, my body's acclimated as a stretch sensation, so it'll go deeper. I really get so, like global response. Yeah, so that's that short term, and that's an acute response. But then mapping the spinal cord stretch reflex that takes time. So you see, there's a lot of people. It's like, oh, my split, like start of a session, my split starts forty centimeters from the ground. I do a lot of stretches, and then it goes down very close to the ground. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, but that's that kind of short acute reflex kicking in mm. or turning off, getting used to the sensation. But then mapping it so it becomes more long-term is more about long-term exposure to these positions where the the body just gets used to what it's doing yeah because i think a lot of people sort of have that complaint that oh, i've made some progress on my flexibility but it takes me half an hour to get one yeah. to realize that ability like the, the, the difference what's the difference between then bringing that cold level that default almost I'd level say up? there's two components one getting more skillful at the exercises we've this is the thing people kind of think flexibility exercises are just something you do and they work mm-hmm. but like every other exercise they have a skill component mm-hmm. you have to be able to like, go like okay what is my own personal way of doing this yeah. that takes practice same with squat push-up you know we have form guidelines the same time like you know my push-up is going to look very different to your push-up even though still the push-up is still doing the same thing mm-hmm. same with like stretching they're always a bit different always a little nuances and being able to actually find like, okay, what do I actually need to do to say I'm doing a pancake and I want to get my hips over? Do I need to wiggle my butt around? Do I need to think up and over? Do I need to go head down and pull into it? All this kind of nuance to be found in the positions. And it's one of the things I guess teaching, say backbending is one of the things I think we teach quite well. And um, we have, how describe it? We have like all these joints in the thor- thoracic kind of, in the thorax, particularly in the rib cage and spine. And learning to articulate them, like, you know, working with a group of like young circus artists lately and to just putting, teaching them how to actually use the skill that a backbending had these like 
they're obviously pretty flexible, just immense, very quick increases by showing them this is the actual skill of backbending versus this is actually just bending backwards and hoping it happens. Yes, yeah. So, I feel like it's the same thing as well with handstands. As, and to something like with strength training, certainly weightlifting, I think you can be a little bit less cognizant and you can just go in, do the work. Yeah. As long as you're trying hard, you're probably going to see improvement. Yeah. But almost flexibility doesn't have that component if you're not sort of listening to the feedback that you're getting from your body yeah. or understanding the small little tweaks and changes that for you uh, make a big difference to how a position feels. I guess going back to your earlier point where you're like, actually static flexibility is a great place to start because yeah. many people will get maybe frustrated that they can't get a good stretch and they'll be like, oh, let's just load it up. Yeah. And it's like, you're just loading in the, you're still doing the wrong thing, but you're just doing the wrong thing with more intensity Yeah. rather than like maybe passive flexibility. You can actually understand and get a feeling for, yeah. how does it feel if I change this? And like, that's kind of thing, like particularly if you can, if you can get a nice deep stretch in a passive thing, putting load on it will make it immensely better. Yes. If you're not getting a decent stretch in the position already and whatever that is for you, then putting load on it's just not going to make it that much better. No. Like just beating you into submission rather kind of working with the body <laughs> yes uh I've, I've certainly heard that's how the the gymnasts get flexible just just forced into yeah uh submission um it definitely works we can't argue that way as no well. no it works but it's reese uh, when we, we had yeah. chats with reese he was like actually i found the practice of a coach forcing me into positions very useful for like just understanding how to deal with pain yeah or that discomfort of training and and because I think ultimately everyone, you mentioned, you know, when you first get good at stretching, a lot of it's just better being able to tolerate yeah. the pain that is stretching or the discomfort that is stretching. Yeah, it's definitely that kind of thing. It's like, it's one of the things we'd say stretch therapy works with a lot is teaching the difference between pain and strong sensation. Because you can have very strong sensations. We're not used to very strong sensations in the West and particularly at these kind <laughs> of extreme positions. Yes. You're just yeah. like, okay, it's it's not... The same with running. It's like the first time you hit the wall when you go running. Yes. You're yeah. just like, thing. but then you kind of realize, actually, I can just go through it. And like, it doesn't feel much better, but it's actually just, it's not me dying. Mm -hmm. It's just like that wall. It's just like, it's not there, but you go through it and you're like, ah. Oh. But if you keep just going up to the wall. Yeah. I guess, how do you how do you put yourself in a position where you can break through that kind of mental barrier of yeah. what you perceive you're able to do versus what your yeah. body is actually capable of doing yeah exactly and then it's also like i think a lot of stuff like when you're dealing with gymnasts where like when the people are being forced into stretch they're fighting against it yeah so that's like kind of our strength at end range training just not actually formally described as that they're actually doing overcoming isometrics to yeah. try and get out of the position yeah but exactly not, not being allowed to yeah so there's definitely that as well. And, I, you know, there's a lot of criticism of these methods as well. Like, they're not for everyone. Like, stretch therapy, is their partner work is much safer. And mm -hmm. still stuff I do comes from them. But at the same time, it's the safer ways of doing it rather than just, like, you know, old school gymnastic coach into yeah. splits you go. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, the favorite drills that I've learned from you that kind of has reinstated this for me was uh, in pancake, getting very, very comfortable in pancake. So being sat in straddle, yeah. folding forward, um, you had like a drill called the tiger skin yeah, rug. Yeah, from Dave Wardman's variation on the yeah. pancake stretch. Which was kind of this like basically trying to make yourself into a sandwich so you had support underneath yeah. you. So you didn't feel like you were going to fall into the abyss. Yeah, or go deeper, yeah. And, and then just... you just had lots of weight on top. Yeah. And that like sandwich just made you like initially just be able to 
feel all of that stretch sensation kind of dissipate yeah. and just really get comfortable yeah exactly that's those kind of like techniques where we're setting up will put some a lot of support so you can't go deeper mm -hmm. and then you're just like you're kind of squished into the stretch and then the stretch sensation will go away eventually maybe not every, maybe not in that session but this kind of thing of just like okay nothing i can't go deeper yeah i can just chill here and just like get heavier and heavier and that's which may sound like somewhat counterintuitive because you're like oh but stretching i want to go deeper into position yeah. but like actually no we just want to be very very comfortable yeah and an extreme range of motion yeah and then it's like obviously whenever you get to your end range it's always going to be unpleasant or maybe not unpleasant but it's always going to feel tight mm -hmm. what i always term the morgan problem the morgan problem. <laughs> yeah one of the guys coach for a while he'd we banned him from saying this eventually because he'd come in he could do middle splits cold he'd come in drop into middle splits then immediately say oh i feel so tight yeah and it's just like objectively you're in a flat <laughs> split first thing in the morning without any kind of warm-up you're not allowed to say you're tight anymore but it's still his his subjective sensation was like oh again oh it's tight yeah but visually it's not but obviously for him feeling it but that's i think that's such a good point it's because a lot of people associate like oh i need to do some stretching or flexibility work so i don't feel tight yeah because like actually that tight feeling is never really going to go away it's the feeling that you get when you're at the end of your yeah. range of emotion yeah exactly but then it's that kind of thing of like we're trying to get slightly more flexible than the activities we demand mm -hmm. so then we feel looser in these kind of things and then when we're still stretching going to our end range we just feel tight yes yeah. it's just like oh something is actually being pulled on but it's not something you actively end up encountering yeah in your day-to-day -day. yeah so you do feel a little bit looser um i kind of i'm interested to ask a little bit where you kind of got the inspiration to delve deeper into flexibility because i know a little bit about your story yeah. and then you've mentioned like you've learned from kit uh kit lachlan yeah um you've met dave wardman like where was the point where you're like i want to understand more about this it was basically when i was in circus school so that was you know to quantify these things like oh had splits had bridge you know pancake was fine pike was fine everything was fine by normal standards of putting in a crossfit gym flexible person in the room or unless there's like yoga person or gymnast mm -hmm. Circus standards just wasn't great. And so I was always just like, how do you get more flexible? And asking the coaches there, I was like, the answer was always stretch more. Yeah, yeah. Stretch more, stretch, so stretching once a day, twice a day. And it wasn't where I was getting less flexible from it because I was just doing too much training, not recovering on mm -hmm. top of all the other training as well. Yeah. So it was just like, but I was getting into strength training. This was like early internet days, like YouTube wasn't a thing like it was still like meta cafe days people remember that <laughs> like that was the in video site and it was just like there wasn't a lot of information but i was getting in strength training i was reading like t nation and other stuff i was lifting weights and other stuff i was like oh actually there's there's a system here mm -hmm. how do you know like didn't understand as much as i understand now obviously but it's still just like oh there's kind of here's a deadlift but here's a regression on a deadlift if you can't do this oh this is your weak leg and kind of deadlift. You're slow off the floor. Try this exercise. Oh, this, I was like, okay, why isn't this for flexibility? Because it's just always like, you ask someone, how did you get flexible? Someone who's more flexible. The classic was like, someone who's super flexible and has it from a young age. Yeah, you yeah. I've done this stretch and that stretch. Oh, try this one. Do these five stretches for your hamstrings. Hold them for 60 seconds. Oh, hold it's them always longer. the 12-year-old gymnast on YouTube giving out flexibility yeah. advice. I'm like, and that's a good point. Let's <laughs> come back to that actually in a second. Okay. But... Uh, yeah, it was just like, okay, it just wasn't working. I was like finishing circus school, like less flexible than when I started it. I was like, okay, this is a bit shit. So I just need to figure out like how this works. 
I just got an interesting puzzle where it's like I started like asking people, what do you do for flexible? And it was, wasn't it wasn't the whole picture. So then I started going, observing people, particularly aerialists and other stuff where they have like huge demand on their flexibility and quite a lot of suppleness and usefulness. It's like, oh, okay, well, people are saying they're doing all these stretches, but then they're spending two, three hours a day using their flexibility. So how can we just distill out these kind of methodologies of using flexibility that actually kind of work? And that kind of just led to kind of this observation, like, okay, how are people actually using the flexibility? They're using it on the ground, they're using it standing, they're using it in the air, they're actively pulling themselves in, they're doing positions that are task-driven. This is one of the bigger things, like, oh, they're trying to express something in the body, they're trying to reach something, there's some kind of objective in the movement that kind of quantifies you as pass fail or in a, in a lot of movements like it has to look like this shape mm-hmm. and if it doesn't you're not doing it right oh i have to make it look like this so i had this kind of idea i have to reach these kind of things so that gave more hints and then it's kind of distilling out these methods of like you can't really say to someone you're training oh yeah we're just gonna have to do three hours a day on aerial to get things. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah. Okay, what, are, what are they actually doing and that kind of gave a lot of the bigger picture of flexibility then kind of was training people for quite a while then i kind of came across kit lachlan they had the kind of other side that were missing where they'd kit lachlan was kind of they started like he was a yoga teacher at some point and he was not getting too flexible he found like contract relax stretching mm-hmm. but then he figured out like a lot of the poses are just too extreme and they're made up of a lot of mini poses so if you kind of break down these poses and find what your own individual restriction is in it you can have like say say your piriformis on your left side is super tight and that's what's actually inhibiting your pancake sure. so just by fixing that suddenly you get a big gain in your pancake and then they also just like realize a lot of the positions are ineffective the loading vectors aren't the same so by getting partner work and other stuff you basically have an intelligent dumbbell so instead of being pulled you know straight down to the ground you can be moved in a slight curve yeah and that's actually the way you need to actually load effectively for you so that kind of gave the other side of the system i always think we have like a more active side which is the thing people see more more publicly and then we have the more chill side which is i don't teach too much publicly where it's like based on the work stretch therapy with some modifications inside from dave wardman and that kind of gives a bigger broader picture yeah i feel like it's the two pieces of the puzzle yeah as literally as we said earlier yeah you you, you sort of need you need both i guess maybe if you went back to uh, like Thomas Kerr's or something, he's got his yeah. different aspects of flexibility, which are the dynamics, yeah. static, active. That's kind of like, that's, I wouldn't even turn that as, I'd call it turn that in terms of flexibility as range of motion. Yeah. He's describing all the ways you can display range of motion in those kind of categories, yeah. which is very useful to think about. We need to think in terms of assessment systems, we'll just have to like find where people are lacking in those ones. And that gives us like ways to make faster gains as well, because we're like, oh, I'm trying to do single leg hip hinge and my torso is only not going so far but then i try to lift my leg up and i can't actually lift it past my knee height yeah okay we've got something to work on so that gives us another kind of side of these things that can help give the body more resources that's what i'm always thinking about is like the resource model of flexibility is what we kind of term it in-house where it's like okay do you have the resource to identify uh the sensations no okay we need to work on that do you have the resource on like how to know how to do the position correctly no we can educate you on that do you have the resource on know how to enter the position effectively okay we can educate that bit do you know how to hold the position effectively okay no we can educate that do you know how to get out of the position 
mm-hmm. and all these kind of different resources we can have do you have enough strength to pull yourself into the position counteract you know the resistance the one to go out all these kind of resources that we can think of all these little pots that we can draw on but if some of them are missing then then we're not getting the most out of the training and uh, so you said sensation um was the first one yeah uh, and that would kind of go back to what we're feeling or where we're feeling it what we're feeling where we're feeling it how i'm personally meant to feel it because there's always this kind of thing of like i'm stretching my calf and i should feel it in my calf then you feel it in your glute yeah it's like oh, i feel it just a bit in my butt for some reason and it's a standing calf stretch so i shouldn't really feel it there <laughs> but i am now is that okay to feel it like a lot of people have a lot of worry about training mm-hmm. and like if you're there going like oh how are you feeling you know you can have a bit of a chat about it okay it probably feels all right maybe that's just your own pattern of tightness yeah and these things kind of put people off you're stretching because it's like a weird sensation that we're not so used to but the same with like most most training things if you're not used to the sensation and like a lot of mm-hmm. our training in sports maybe not sports training but like uh weightlifting like normal kind of bodybuilding it's like we've made all these exercises to be almost foolproof like this is a bicep curl. yeah you're going to feel it in your bicep and then we just look at someone and go like i feel it my lower back or like you're leaning backwards yeah like you're not doing the exercise correct do the exercise correct you're almost guaranteed to to feel it also exactly. or use machines now to, to yeah to get that isolation yeah exactly so there is these kind of things but then you know even if you go higher levels of like strength training like the bench press what we think is like oh, chest and triceps that becomes a full body movement yeah like, oh, okay i'm using my drive i've got my back locked in in a big arch things i think kind of going back to what you mentioned earlier makes and you've talked a lot about vectors yeah. um and and understanding like is the position right for you like somebody who you know if, if we're talking back about the pike so somebody yeah. folding forward again a hip hinge if 70 degrees is normal yeah. and if you start seated yeah you're going to need a minimum of 90 degrees yeah to really get some benefit out of it yeah and then you said basically well standing would be a better solution can you yeah. kind of explain why that is a better solution one like it's a lot of us like geometry and angles we can just think of like we always have you know we're always talking about vectors or gravity in some cases we always just have gravity pulling us straight down and most of our joint movements are translation around something so it's not everything's hinge it's not actually like a door frame at all it's kind of the joint surfaces are sliding around each other and they will like to create this rotation we want we have to have a force in two directions to create rotation we have one force and then another force working at a right angle so if i want to create a rotation if i'm seated on a hip hinge on that i have to create a force at 90 degrees to this so i have to actually be able to use my hip flexors to pull myself over and then only when i get sort of about this angle if we're looking on the camera then gravity is pulling me down on my torso i might be able to get deeper into mm-hmm. it whereas if i'm here this is my legs i'm standing i hip hinge that way i have this downward force already working counteracting the leverage of the body yeah so that gives me greater something to work with then that gives me two options it's like i have something pulling me in the in a direction do i go with it or do i go against it mm-hmm. so that gives us two kind of ways to think about it and the going with it would be like target based so i'm trying to reach towards yeah, maybe the ground towards it it could be an internal sensation of target like oh i feel if i pull a little bit or relax a little bit i get a better stretch it could be like i try to reach something on the ground going against it is kind of like oh i'm going out of the position basically oh could am i doing that as isometric pushing against something yeah, or, or i just you could be lifting i presume lift resisting it would be like lifting actually something as in yeah. like a jefferson cow or a romania deadlift yeah exactly would be going against yeah 
And it's definitely like, it is this thing, like we know strength training makes people more flexible as well. And there's always this debate, like strength training is just as effective as flexibility training. Yeah. And like, I definitely think that's very applicable for normal ranges of motion. But there's not that many people have deadlifted themselves into a split. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's. I think we're in a bit of a phenomena right now of like the strength through range uh, sort of period with, you know, ATG and and all of that sort of stuff has made it a little bit more widespread. Yeah, but even then, I don't throw shade too much, but like, you know, the ATG guy done a lot of static stretching. There's like loads of photos of this before they kind of came with strength through length like it works and definitely works for a lot of people like it's that kind of thing if i'm new to something and i have something exposing me to more ranges of motion i'll get more flexible in yeah. it. it's just exposure that's Which, i think i think really going back to our earlier point of like you saying actually the person who is not flexible and then just trying to chuck more weight to become more flexible doesn't always work yeah i think i can i, I can definitely test that because i started off stretching i could i couldn't touch my toes yeah. and i was like oh, i'm just gonna stretch my hamstrings and gradually as i sort of learn more it, it evolved into like maybe a 30 minute static stretching routine that i did every single day yeah and that really got me like 80 percent of the way there yeah and it wasn't until i learned more about the stuff that you teach yeah which you know essentially would be like creating strength through range and yeah. the other different factors um active flexibility and then i was like i saw that that sort of final 20 percent close where yeah. i managed to get pancake and and then the the thought process is like oh actually i've been doing it wrong previously static yeah. stretching is rubbish it's all about strength through range like this is yeah. the thing. and i've almost come full circle now many many years yeah. later when i'm trying to get back into flexibility again and i'm like oh the strength through range stuff isn't quite working out for me it's not giving me yeah. the results that i desire um maybe static stretching isn't so bad after (laughs) all i think it's always like the journey of flexibility should be we start with static stretching we get as much out of it as you can we go through that then we look at the more active stuff obviously we try to build up our kind of static active and active ranges at the same time Mm -hmm. hopefully it's kind of it's not a linear process it's kind of a bit like a fader and then it's like okay we've gotten as much as we can out of the static very elongated positions on the lengthening side of the muscles yeah so then it's like okay well what else can we do then we can start adding contractions load longer isometrics these things but eventually it just comes all the way back around to like okay i want to get ready like you know me i'm warming up to do handstands what do i do static middle splits <laughs> like i don't do an isometric i just do my static middle split and just hold it for a minute or two until it kind of sinks down to go okay that's where i feel like is a good operating range for today mm-hmm. and then if i want to develop it i'll use some of the harder methods yeah but it is this kind of thing of just like there is always circling back to this. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, I'm a bit rusty, you know, if I just had, for those who don't know, just had a baby this year, I haven't been training this much, new house, like all the life things at once. Yeah. First thing I'm going to do when I'm like, okay, I'm ready to start training, which I feel I'm kind of getting back to that point now, get a nice schedule. I'm just going to do static stretching. <laughs> and that's it until I kind of get, okay, I've got everything out of it. Yeah. And just remind the body. It's it's interesting. I, I feel like it's somewhat the Daniger Kruger effect of fitness. Is like yeah. you start finishing, you're like, I should just do something. Yeah. Like I just I start trying it, and then yeah. you learn more, and then you go a little bit deeper, and you're like, oh, I need to do the right thing. Oh, yeah. But that camp's wrong, and yeah, that, you know, and you go down this like uh, almost stroking your own uh, intellectual ego of like, yeah. I know I'm going to make it super complicated because I know all these things, and then you end up at the point you're like, oh, actually, I just need to do something yeah exactly and, that's, Some, and something being the thing that i want to improve yeah and that's you know you get better over time as long as you're picking something that's 
moderately effective for you, it doesn't have to be the most optimal thing, mm-hmm. you'll get better. Yeah. And that's generally like what we're aiming for. It's like always this thing of like, yes, it's probably an optimal routine for you, but we need to do genetic testing to figure this out and <laughs> factor in a whole lifestyle and modify yeah, your whole yeah. Can lifestyle. You quit your this. job, have yeah. no other external factors, perfect yeah, exactly. sleep, perfect nutrition. Optimum hydration levels and all this. <laughs> and I was like, well, we can't control all these things, but we can uh, try to do something as good as we can. As you do something for a long period of time, you usually end up doing things incorrectly um, yeah. and injuries and, and other things end up cropping up. I, I myself have uh, experienced my fair share of injuries. Yeah. I don't know if you have any like any words of wisdom for uh, getting injured, how to, rec- I think more specifically around flexibility because yeah. it's a different type of injury to restore. Um, yeah. It's definitely a kind of a grade flexibility injuries in two camps. There's one I call the outside context problem. And the one is like an in context problem. So an outside context problem is like, I have stretched into a new range of motion. Mm-hmm. And I've exceeded the capacity of my tissues or whatever. And it's completely new to me. And then I, something happens, yeah, get yeah. injured. A tear. Or that problem. is that is the one that causes the most amount of problems because you've basically gone off your body map, your normal body map. It's like you're uh, Steve Vaughan with Dave Wardman's. You've sent, gone into the dark forest and you got eaten by tigers. <laughs> it's just, I like that one. It's just like you've gone somewhere, you didn't know what was going to happen, your body didn't know what was going to happen, that injury happened. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's almost like getting scared. The body is very scared to go back into that range of motion. Yeah. And even if like everything is healed, we could MRI things that it looks completely normal. Or this is obviously a bit of evidence of a tear, but it looks fully healed and nothing else is restricted. That one lasts much longer. It's harder to get over. Mm-hmm. And that one generally needs a lot of kind of coaxing at this flirting at the edge of the forest range. We're just like, okay, I'm just here. I know I'm safe. I can peek out in the woods. Yeah. That one is kind of like, a lot of partner work, a lot of stuff like tigers can rug pancake. Like I'm very supported. I know I'm not going to go deeper. I can just yeah. begin to teach the body that this might be safe. Whereas when you have ones where it's like, I can do splits, uh, but then I slid out to 80% and because of everything else in my life, just didn't have the capacity today. Yeah. And something pops. That one's more like a normal kind of muscle tear. Mm-hmm. Just like, yes, it's annoying to get over, but you do get over it more like, oh, you know, I popped my lower back doing a deadlift and it's a bit owie for a few months but then i slowly just build up so that one is kind of more of a load management issue yeah i'm just like okay just like you know oh i hurt my back doing deadlifts and i'm like well i could do all this esoteric physiotherapy stuff or i could just deadlift and what do i do i control the weight yeah. control the number of reps my volume and i control my range of motion and i just kind of go like okay and then as the body gets used to it it gets better. Then maybe it doesn't get better. And then maybe you need to look at some more physiotherapy kind of rehab stuff. But a lot of the time, a lot of the time, like our injuries that we get from an exercise can be fixed with the exercise by scaling it or regressing it to an appropriate level. Whereas these kind of outside context ones are the ones where like, oh, requires some weird shit. We have to change a lot of weird things. Yeah, like, I, I I can certainly attest like one one is almost more physiological, one's more psychological. Yeah. And it's kind of like it's almost on a subconscious level as well. So we have to figure a way of speaking to the body that makes it just feel, speaks to it in a way that goes, we can think like mentally, like, this is perfectly safe. I'm set up at a level. Yeah. But something deeper inside that doesn't have words 
can't say that like oh, no i don't feel good about this mm-hmm. i mean can't. we've chatted a little bit about middle split flex but just to put into like what you've just said into an example yeah. like i tore my um adductor in an active <laughs> i mean you, 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 you've certainly <laughs> seen the video uh sliding out on some very dodgy dodgy chairs on a dodgy deck yeah and then sent me a video going like emmett i've hurt myself and i'm just like <laughs> okay i would have told you that's an amazingly bad idea to begin with but yeah and then yeah. uh editor jamie at the time decided to like put an edit together of me in the van damme like volvo commercial and there was like a picture of juju driving one truck and you were driving the other truck <laughs> so I, like slid out into, into the middle split but yeah ever since then like i have been able to get back into it but there is just like the conditions have to be very right for me to feel like i actually have some range there like yeah. i haven't been able to really train middle splits again without having blocks underneath my legs yeah so just reducing the length of the lever um i'm also for some reason very uh weird with the floor if the floor feels like remotely yeah. very slippery i'm like i've got maybe like 40 percent of the range that, yeah. I should, that i should have um exactly you see this is all this it's almost psychological to a certain degree it's just yeah. like oh it's that body has got scared and it's trying to tell you what through this kind of response to these things it's like oh slide out in this very slippy floor before the injury, it's like, oh, yeah, no problem. It's now it's just like, oh. Do you remember that time where you did this thing? Yeah. Yeah, we're not doing that again. Yeah, it's just the body's way of keeping us safe. And it is like that kind of thing you're saying, like, oh, like what I like to do in these kind of situations is splits in different contexts and just changing, almost changing the exercise every single time. And we can Okay, so you that. build up like a variety. So, mm, you might of. do the same middle split, but like a simple example would be like, oh, I'll change my clothes. I'll wear, I know it sounds weird, but it helps. It's like, oh, I have leggings on. I'll take them off, put on shorts. I'll do another middle split. Because of the sensation. The sensation just changes. It just it begins to teach the body that like, oh, in all these different environments, it's actually safe to do this. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's like, oh, I was in the dark forest. Mm-hmm. And, oh, shit, this is similar to the dark forest. Maybe there's a tiger. <laughs> but if we kind of go like, oh, look, this forest is safe and this one is safe, then that gives us a bit more exposure to different environments of doing the split and it's all perception it's, it's such a yeah. uh, a weird one i'm trying to remember there was one uh, we did a, a workshop of yours years ago i remember we were, you were demonstrating some sort of pike flexibility yeah and um you applied just like you know what looked like you were going to push on their back to yeah. press them into pike but actually all you did was just drag the skin yeah and 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 how that changed the stretch was quite dramatic can you kind of maybe explain what was happening there and how how yeah. you might use that i haven't got an exact explanation of how that exactly works yeah but it's one of these things like when we're manipulating someone it's like we can basically always talk about skin muscle and bone when mm-hmm. we're doing partner stretches like i can touch you i sink my fingertips just through the skin till i feel the surface of the muscle then i just manipulate the skin bag over and that just changes it so much it just like it almost puts a bit of slack and direction in the person yeah and then you go like okay we're going this way and then they just go into it it's like it's one of those ones like you manipulate someone quite easily at this and we've seen it in the workshops yeah you can get quite drastic increases just by looking at like generally if you're trying to apply this yourself you look at where the person is bending the most so say say we're thinking the body is hinges and we're hinging down we're keeping it straight and then they round their back so I'll go slightly below the curve and then I'll just grab the skin and move it over. And you get a sensitive hand for it. You can kind of feel which way things need to move. 
that gives our first kind of level of partner stretching. It could be very effective and very gentle. And just basically, like you can even see when people get to it, like you just begin to move the skin and suddenly the body is going, ah, yeah. this is the way I want to go. It's in, I think it's a good level of partner stretching because it's not, it's not going to have any fear of like, oh, I've got somebody else yeah. exerting their will, their force on me yeah. into a position where I not, might not feel safe. It's, it's relatively unloaded. Obviously, we've talked a lot about flexibility, but that's not the only thing <laughs> that you do. Um, and like myself, like I, I think most people will have a practice that has multiple different disciplines within it. Yeah. In this particular space, I guess it would be like handstands, body weight training, yeah. and flexibility. Um, how do you think about sort of combining the three and balancing? And you talked about when you're a circus artist that you made negative progress of flexibility yeah. because you were trying to do so many things. Yeah, it's definitely like I think it's the more things you're putting into your training the more you have to accept that like your progress is not going to be as fast as someone else who's just doing one thing. Mm -hmm. Like someone who's just focusing on flex flexibility training, that's all they do. They can get very good like results very quickly. Yeah. Someone who's like, oh, I want to do strength training, flexibility training. Okay, we can accept maybe the results aren't going to be optimum if you're just doing like, oh, I want to do small off and get the results of small off, this kind of squat cycle yeah. thing. Yeah. It's like, okay, if you're doing other things on top of that, it's not going to be as effective. So there's always this idea of like, we have to try to find what's an acceptable level of progress on something. And then there's also this idea of working with someone, like how how much, like the ideal thing is like, you can train 20 hours a week, mm. you have your diet optimized, <laughs> you have your gym laundry schedule optimized, you have clean gym clothes, and <laughs> all the other things that go with soft factors outside it. Mm -hmm. And then we can start thinking about like making more and more progress. But when you have less time and you want to try to do a bit of everything, it's always accepting. It's like, oh, my squat, I'm training squats. And that only went up two and a half, five percent this cycle instead of what I thought would be 10, 15 percent. But what other gains did I get? Sure. What other things? And balancing that out and just knowing what's the most important thing. And then it also comes like a distillation process of like, I could do 15 different handstand exercises what would all have benefit for you but we only have time for four or five. Yeah. Which are the ones are going to give the biggest carryover to all the other things we're doing. Yeah. And yeah. And I, and I think sometimes that's a little bit hard for certainly people to discern when you see stuff online, you're like, what is the stuff that's actually really essential that gives me most of the progress yeah. and what's the little bits that kind of, and they're a nice tickle if you've got the extra time, the yeah. extra work capacity, but. I know, it's like this kind of thing. I was like, say we take a basic leg day training. Yeah. So we say we have a squat exercise for our first one. That's the one we want to get important. Mm -hmm. and then we have some kind of hip hinge variation, some kind of quad isolation, some kind of leg curl. Mm -hmm. It's four exercises, very basic leg session. And we go like, okay, I only have 10 minutes to train. What do you train? Do you train the squats or do you train all the accessory exercises? Yeah, yeah. Like the very most important thing is like, oh, I want to train the big exercise, get the most bang from a book yeah, and just grind that out. I think a lot of people would be like, oh, I've only got 10 minutes. Maybe I'll do a set of each. Yeah. And such, would you be better off doing maybe four or five sets of just, just the squat? Just the squat. That would be my preference. I'm sure people could argue it the other way. And if we have like a very specific weak point, mm -hmm. then obviously we'd go, okay, my calves are the weak point in my squat. So just going to train them. Yeah. That's it. And that, I know that's the weak point, but if we don't have it, we just have to go like, what's the big exercise? Yeah. And train that. And that's like, it's one of the things I got a lot from uh, Jamie Lewis of Chaos Pain or Plague of Strength now. And I was like reading his blog a lot. He's very strong. He's just pointing out like, just do more of the important exercise. 
particularly when it comes to strength training and other stuff. And it's like, that's how I got like most of my bigger kind of strength feats. Not that I have, don't consider myself super strong on these things, but like, was just like, okay, deadlifting, uh, deadlift workouts before I got this idea was just like, oh, I'll do three or five sets of deadlifts. Then I'll go fuck around on all other kind of accessory exercises. Back extensions. And, and then I was just like, okay, actually I could just do 45 minutes of deadlifting. <laughs> and just bang out the sets, just get a lot of deadlifting in. Mm-hmm. And then maybe 15 minutes of just other smattering of stuff. Yeah. And that <coughs> that sort of training, you know, brought deadlift from like 140-ish to 220 over quite a short period of time. I think we can kind of take that principle to bodyweight training because I think the hard thing with bodyweight training is when you have weightlifting, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to do a bench, I'm going yeah. to do a squat, a, a chin-up. Bodyweight training almost seems to be like infinite variations. Uh, and it's not necessarily that the variation is inherently bad or doing yeah. lots different. It's like we want to make the variation very specific to the to the task or the movement yeah. that we are going to do. As I said, that like if you're going to do, you want to improve your deadlift, you do 45 minutes deadlift. doesn't mean you're going to do the same deadlift like basically on that kind of program it's like would either pick depending on what I was feeling on the day singles doubles or triples yeah work up to weight that i felt was <coughs> excuse me uh, appropriate for whatever i was training on the day and just bang out sets of triples and maybe just wave the weight up and down two and a half three five kilos yeah every kind of set or every couple of sets just to feel a bit different okay so sort of similar to maybe a conjugate sort of way of going about it with that like daily ma- not daily max but that session max <coughs> yeah basically session maxes and just you know not like there wouldn't be say a triple wouldn't be a true triple it might be a 5RM if I really grinded it out yeah but it's just like okay what feels heavy today for this thing and that takes a bit of nuance but it's that kind of thing of like I could pick five different bodyweight tricep exercises or I could just do dips <laughs> you know i do i do like the like reductionist sort of I, yeah. I, I, again i th- I think that is the, the it's the circle of fitness yeah. knowledge that like do something is good oh no i need to do the right thing and yeah. have all these different complicated factors and you're like oh, no, just do the thing that is yeah very good well, like, I, you know we do have to understand when it comes to people like people have different motivations for training and like mm-hmm. for me who's just a bit like okay i just don't mind banging out the same set of same yeah. exercise for 40 minutes that's very entertaining for someone else who just that's not enter- it's boring no they don't it wanna... doesn't keep them motivated or they'd be okay for like a few weeks and then they'd be yeah. like oh, i can't be asked to come out and do the session again yeah exactly so there is this kind of like i can't remember who was pointing out online but like a lot of sports training filters for people who can just do the same thing over and over again <laughs> it's literally a filter that's built into it yeah, yeah. And that's good for sport training that has very clear this is the one thing we do mm-hmm. where and that translates in the trickle down effect of like this is what the athletes are doing you have to do the same routine all the time and only yeah. change it up every 12 weeks and then you're doing the same lifts whereas like for someone who's like oh i'm a 35 year old man with kids and i want to go to the gym three times a week and i want to have a bit of fun yeah like there's room for all of it in there but at the same time there is i think for trainers and coaches we should there's like an old program by like is it dan john Dan John weightlifting coach that ring a bell. Yeah, Dan John. Dan yeah. John. Or it's just like one lift a day. Okay. And that was the problem. You just went in. He had it kind of done by percentages or sets and reps. You just that was it. You trained five days a week, but you're only doing one lift on that day. And you, what you just do as feels good. Uh, he had it on percentages of one RM, I think. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was just a good like. That's it. You're going. In, you're going to do a 30, 40 minute session of just squats. You're going to do a 30, 40 minute session of overhead press, and just get like 
what do I actually get out of that? Because so many people, the first thing they do on training is like, their training program has a lot of exercises in it. They've never actually seen what they get from one exercise. Yeah, I think there's an element of like FOMO. Like yeah. You, you, especially with social media fitness. Yeah. Oh my God, there's so many drills that I can do. So many drills and so many exercises. And like at the end of the day, like I've been in say three social media cycles of fitness. Like I've been doing this for about 20 years now. And it's just like, I've seen exercises come I've seen them go and then I've seen them come back. Yeah. And it's just like, it gets popular. People start doing it. It feels good. But all the basic exercises never really go away. No, you never see people not squatting. Yeah, I've never seen the people not squatting. You never see people not doing dips, not doing chin-ups, mm-hmm. not doing, you know, all the bodyweight push-ups. Like push-ups what have been around thousands of years. They're pretty <laughs> good. And like you see variations of push-ups, but like you yeah. see a meme variation of push-ups. Everyone's doing it for a few months. And they're saying, oh, it's the best chest pump exercise yeah. I've got, a push-up, oh, it's really changed it. But then no one's doing it again in six months' time. I think this uh, this kind of answers the question that I wanted to ask, which was like, how do you not be the lifetime intermediate? Lifetime. Which is like, you know, the sort of person is, we, as we do beginner, like it's quite easy to get from beginner to an intermediate. Um, to put a metric on that, I don't know what you'd say, but then like going from yeah. intermediate to advanced is the thing that's impressive and hard. Like, yeah. you know, maybe, for example, um, learning to handstand. You know, it's, it's a good challenge, yeah. but most people can achieve it. Going from handstand to one arm is like a completely different thing. Or going uh, from being able to touch your toes to being able to do front split. Yeah. Like th- going from that intermediate level to that advanced level. I think a lot of the advanced people, when there's a social media element to it, that we see people like, and it gives us a hint of how we should do it. They very narrow their focus to the things they're good at. And there's always this thing of like, oh, I should be bring up my weak points. Where if we look at everyone who's kind of successful, they brought up their strong points and just kind of made sure their weak points didn't held them back. Yeah. And that goes for like anything, like business coach, like business coaching and business coaching literature reading. They make this point a lot. It's like, what are you good at in your business? Yeah. Okay, you focus on that and then you hire people who are better than you at the other thing. Yeah. When you can. And it's just, you know, it's that thing. Like we see it like, you know, it's always that the guy if we think about like oh we can think of loads of planche masters who are just like insanely good at planche nowadays and just like in street workout and other stuff but they're probably not good at squats and deadlifts and other <laughs> stuff but they're just max out their planche stats yeah and this kind of thing of like if you want to be a general trainer and there's also this kind of thing like do you want to be advanced if you want to be advanced you kind of have to narrow and chop and take the axe to things yeah you've got you've got to give stuff up yeah and that's the kind of thing like we all have things that we'll probably be better at out of like even if we're just like i'm in bodyweight training we just know very basically like some people are very good at pushing some people are very good at pulling mm-hmm. and it's like if the person who's good at pulling and not that great at pushing was just to spend all their time doing planche they might get the straddle planche they might not get like a full planche you know it's a very advanced skill where if they went all out in front lever they could be doing like front lever rows and all those kind of walk-ups and everything quite easy yeah so there is definitely a kind of idea of like when you get to intermediate you should have an idea of what you're good at and this could be psychologically good at like one arm oh, i want to get one arm like one arm is more psychological feat of strength than anything else just like to do <laughs> oh. similar training for a very long time yeah i was gonna say i think talk, it out. talking about doing the same thing and yeah over and over again and that's just like you know you just have to because you have to it's like you know watching my baby learn to walk like she never just quit she just kept trying it she was falling over standing mm-hmm. falling leaning against things till eventually now she can walk Obviously, it's a bit faster than learning the one arm, but there is that thing on one arm. It's just you kind of have to keep trying it. Like you build up strength, you can you know have things that are a bit more metric based, get a bit more technical. 
but at the end of the day, like when the hand comes off the ground, like you know, I'm in a one arm, I'm in a four finger support, still a two arm handstand. I'm in a straight arm support, still a two arm handstand. I'm in a yeah. one finger, one hand handstand, still, still a two arm handstand. Yeah. Until you take that hand off and you just embrace the chaos. That was the most annoying thing for me about learning one arm. Yeah. Was like I, I'd put a year, year and a half into it, and I was like, I can still only do a two arm handstand. It's just that yeah, maybe it's like eighty percent on one arm. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like until you're able to do that thing yeah there's so much time and commitment to it yeah um yeah and it's this thing with all advanced stuff it's like oh i really want to be good at powerlifting yeah you probably can't do triathlon at the same time <laughs> molly molly joining molly in. mike yeah <laughs> <laughs> um speaking of which uh, i guess it's useful to have a coach uh, do you have a, like any advice for coaches like i've obviously i've learned a lot from yourself yeah uh, over the years and uh, it's helped me figure out more of the puzzle and obviously like you're still learning always yeah. but do you have any like for somebody who maybe wants to get and start coaching people um, um with this sort of stuff like maybe where's where is something they could start with there's a few things one read textbooks like don't read studies studies are shit <laughs> textbooks are a distillation of studies even if they're out of date they're still pretty good yeah uh you have any, start, any particular textbooks by the way just basically look at sports science courses look at the textbooks they're using and then <laughs> torrent them because they're <laughs> fucking expensive like textbooks two three hundred quid <laughs> and start there is generally pretty good just get like all the basics like i'd almost say the classics in the field but they're sometimes like super training and theory and practice but they're almost a bit too hard Mm-hmm. and just like learning that is pretty good for knowledge uh then finding like trying stuff out because like this thing the reality of training people versus reality of training yourself is very fucking different yeah i was gonna say when you say trying stuff out do you, do you mean with yeah. other people with other people like you have to have kind of a progression model in mind but then you also have to realize like your progression model isn't a great fit for 20 30 percent of people so then you have to figure out other ways around it. Mm-hmm. All these kind of fancy benchmarks we think are like, you have to be able to do 15 push-ups before you can do five dips and other stuff. It's not how humans work. Mm-hmm. So you have to be willing to like sacrifice things. Then it's also, it is experimentation, like finding a coach who you know is good to kind of learn a bit off is pretty good. But at the same time, I think a lot of it like, that's the kind of thing because I kind of taught myself to coach, so I'm like just trying to backwards extrapolate what I've done. Was, yeah, I just yeah. I, I guess maybe if you were thinking of what characteristics would make up a good coach, um, like if you were to reverse engineer, like yeah, what, you know, understanding logistics of actual <laughs> training is one of the most important things. And I think that's what people hire me for more than the actual training. Plan. And when you say logistics of coaching, you mean like making okay. a program fit. Making a program fit someone's lifestyle and yeah. not because like a lot of us who get into coaching when training is like training is basically our life. Yep. We have a life that we've built around this and it's like, oh, for me training 90 minutes twice a day at certain points, oh, yeah, it's not a problem. It's a bit less, actually a bit too little, isn't it? You could do a bit more. <laughs> That's fine. I have a lifestyle that accommodates that. Learning to go from like your general population who can maybe get in two, three good workouts a week and understanding what's actually going on in their life and the social factors outside it is one of the bigger things you can make in terms of actually tailoring things to people. Mm-hmm. Understanding like what's important for them, what's really important for them, because it's not always what they say. It's like, oh, you know, the classic one of like, it used to be, it's not so much online anymore. It's like, oh, I want to get lean and toned. 
And then the cows will be like, hur, hur, hur. what you actually mean is you want to increase lean body mass and reduce your body fat. Ha, ha, ha. We know what they mean when they're saying that. We don't have to yeah. like, be a dick about it. No. So you need to learn like in general how people are speaking about stuff. And then understanding is like, oh, you're like, why am I, you know, what's, what's my motivation? Oh, it's like, it's a classic example. It's like, oh, I want to, you're like, why do you want to get lean? Oh, I feel healthier. Why do you really want to get lean? So I'm leaner in that bitch in the office. Okay, <laughs> we're going to do that like leaner in the bitch in the office workout. <laughs> like these kind of things are important. Our social pressures. Like, oh, I want to get lean. Why? Uh, like I'd say one client I had when I was personal training many, many years ago who taught me a lot. She's a solicitor working in the city of London. Uh, she came to me. She was already pretty fucking thin. Like she's pretty stick-like or not stick-like. It's like came to me. It's like, I have my wedding dress already bought. I don't fit into it exactly. <laughs> so I need to fit into this dress. <laughs> and you're gonna, I'm going to give you money and we're going to make it happen. Yeah. I was like, talk to her. I was like, okay, you're already like done her body, her skin folds. It wasn't much to lose. I was like, oh yeah, this is it. Like, this is the measurements of the dress. The waist needs to go down a bit. Everything else kind of fits. Okay, the only way we're going to do this is like protein sparing modified fast in this short amount of time. I was like, not probably, you know, it's not what I would have wanted to do with any person normally, but this was this girl's motivation and this is what she was paying for. So I was like, okay, this is it. And she'd done it and gotten to the dress. Got the wedding photos. And then, uh, yeah. So I think uh, almost that ability to really just listen to yeah. the person you're coaching and be like, oh, they're not me. Yeah. They're not, they're in a different pair of shoes. Yeah. It's kind of the reverse, uh, not Kotoski method acting question there's two questions that you're asked when you're building a character method acting is yeah. like what would i do if i was king arthur back in this time and my yeah. wife was just abducted how would i act that <laughs> for me doing this character not some weird yeah uh, you know what what is my way of doing it to make it natural mm -hmm. and it's that kind of thing of like what would i do you don't want to ask yourself what would i do in this situation okay I would do this, but that's probably not what the person is willing to do. Mm -hmm. And it's finding out what they're actually willing to do. And it's like, you know, it's what a term, the three W's would have expanded to five W's. It's like, what does the person want to do? Where are they in relation to the goal? Uh, what are they willing to give up for it? Uh, which, which way are they going to do it? So how do they actually want to train? Yeah. Uh, well, what? And where are they going to do it? How, like, what is their situation for training? I think um, actually David Gesson, who yeah. we spoke to in regards to injury rehab, he said one of the most important sort of things that he asks people when they come to him is like, what do you expect this rehab process to look like? I think it's the same with training. Yeah. It's like, okay, you want to achieve a certain thing. Like how do you expect yeah. that journey to look? And then trying to find a nice marry between like actually what they need to be doing yeah. and what their expectations are. So they're kind of, rather than being like, either giving them what they want, which I don't think is a particularly yeah. good way to coach. Um, you're, you're people pleasing in the short term, but ultimately like you're the coach, you should know yeah, what's, exactly. what's best for them. And then yeah, giving them something that they're just not gonna do. Yeah. Um, and and non-adherence yeah. is a pretty good way to make no progress. Yeah, exactly. And that's always gonna, finding what people like to do in a session. It's like, you know, the classic example we have already here with us. And it's like, I know he loves training arms. <laughs> and I know he knows a lot about arm training. 
So in his program, I just give him like free choice at like the end of an upper body there. And it's like, you've done the stuff I want you to do. Mm -hmm. Now you can go pick your like two or three bicep exercises. These are sets and reps I want you to stick to. Yeah. And just do what you want to do. You want to do machines, you want to do barbell, you want to do fat grips, you know. It's almost like a little bit of uh, dessert at the end of. Yeah. Dinner. I think that's important. But then it's also like asking people like, what exercises do you like doing? It's like, oh, I really like doing like split squats. Okay, cool. It's not as effective as a squat for the goal, maybe, but why not use them? Yeah. Like there is, you know, if it's kind of close enough and they'll do it and they'll be excited to do it, you almost get more out of the excitation than putting a bit on the barbell. Yeah. And this, yeah, it's always this kind of like interplay of like helping people know what's important, what you need them to do, because this is like based on my experience, these are the things that you're lacking and they're not fun. But then also the things you enjoy doing, let's get some of them in as well. Yeah, no, I like that. I think that's great. Um, I want to press you a little bit yeah. for the book recommendations because the last two book questions I have was actually three questions. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit quicker fire. I'll give them all three. Uh, we'll start with one, which yeah. is what's something you've learned recently that's changed your approach to, to training, whether that be actually, yeah, training related stuff. Uh, mm. I won't be too specific. I've learned how stressful having a kid is. <laughs> <laughs> and like it is that one of the things like you can only really relate to things you've done yeah like other than just having a kind of projection of it mm -hmm. so having a small kid and just understanding like how difficult and stressful that is you know our like our baby in terms of baby is a perfect starter baby she's <laughs> you know she cries but there's always generally a reason for it that you can fix she doesn't have colic she sleeps pretty good but mm -hmm. not you know still disturbed sleep just getting this kind of thing. Like I've had a lot of clients who've had kids over the years. I didn't understand it. No. Like I understood it in terms of conceptually. Yeah. But now I don't really understand or hopefully really understand it. I'm still learning. It's still very new to me. <laughs> so that was kind of good to give me, I think, a bit more empathy for people. So I have a huge, like, huge amount of empathy for single parents now. Because I know yeah. how hard it is for me and my wife who just split parenting quite evenly and have a, quite a good system and communication system for dividing things up mm -hmm. where if someone's just doing this all alone like dear god they're superheroes yeah I, I again like the whole the whole parenting thing i think is like i've had a similar experience myself with just having other external life factors of renovating yeah. properties like it's made me appreciate oh i'm i, I can't just dedicate all of my time to, to, yeah. to training or recovering from training or doing training as a job and i think that's yeah. something that actually is very much missed from gen like just advice in general for fitness is like most people who provide advice for physical training or ne even nutrition is like yeah. that is their job they have yeah. financial incentive to do it well yeah uh they have the time the you know yeah there's so many things that are in their favor that they forget like actually if you're just living a normal life and trying to integrate this yeah what what that takes and what that requires yeah that, it's definitely like you know i always kind of said like if i had people sign up with me and like oh, i'm gonna have a kid like dads anyway new dads is like oh i want to keep training hard when the baby's here mm -hmm. i was like you used to make them take like a month off training when the baby was born it's just like you're taking a month off you know do some push-ups do some chin-ups if you get a chance don't sweat it yeah, yeah. now i'd almost be thinking like three months <laughs> like yeah you can do a little bit and i'll yeah. give you you know i'll give you a rudimentary plan to keep things chipping away mm -hmm. but realistically like you don't know if you're going to be up and just get four hours sleep like i'd say i'm cruising on the last year on about six hours sleep continual sleep and yeah. then you know, normally about nine would be my kind of optimal. Yeah. And it's just like cruise on six and that's always a bit disturbed because like you're always just like, oh, you know, even if your baby's sleeping, you always kind of wake up to check on it. Mm. And it's just like that kind of thing eats into things a lot more than you think. Mm -hmm. 
So it's definitely that. The additional stress of just keeping yeah. another human alive. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, it's, you want to enjoy it. There's like ups and downs. It's very emotional. It takes its toll. Mm-hmm. It takes its toll, even though it's a very happy occasion. So it's definitely that would say the biggest thing I learned, which isn't directly training related, but I think no, it's very it important. I, I, I think it's great, a great point. Uh, a lot of people will beat themselves up because they can't do yeah. certain things. It's like, it's fine. It's just a, yeah. a situation within life. The baby's not going to be a baby for a long time as well. So you'll get back to your normal sleep and normal training. Yeah. But yeah, that was, I suppose, the biggest empathy gain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final two points was like basically three because three is a nice number. But a few books that you think are useful and um, a few people that you've learned from. I guess there can be some overlap between the two. Yeah. So books. Okay. I'll always just come back for, because we're talking about flexibility mainly. Yeah. Thomas Kerr's Stretching Scientifically. It's one of those ones like I had someone, I'm going to bitch about this because I had some vaguely racist comment on one of my YouTube videos. I've done a big review on this book because I think it's great, but I think it needs some context. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so guys like how can you recommend this book it's you know it's very difficult for a beginner to implement and it's the english is terrible because it's written by a foreigner <laughs> and it's just like okay you're speaking to me who's irish and like you know yeah i'm a foreigner to your americanness <laughs> and so it was like i just shot that down quickly but i think it's a good book i think it needs to be put in context and just understand its limitations and also what he's actually there's because there's the practice in the book that relates to what thomas Kerr's trains which is martial arts yeah yeah but then there's a general concepts and principles that need to be extrapolated out and kind of modified with more regressions or progressions or context for the movements yeah and there's obviously like a lot of these things that like we have to remember a lot of training up until kind of recently was trained in person mouth to ear you're trained in an environment with someone who guided you through the initiation into this training practice. Mm-hmm. Whereas nowadays everyone's trying to learn it from videos and other stuff. And yeah. you try to learn it from a book where most of the training books were just like... It's even one part removed even from yeah, video. Exactly. So you just you have a book, any book. It's just, it's almost a guide, a reminder for the person doing the training or administering the training. Mm-hmm. So that, Kit Lockton's book, Stretching and Flexibility, I think that's pretty good. It's a bit harder to get into. Or it's harder to put into practice, even though they tried to make it as applicable as thing. Yeah, I, I always felt it was like a bit of an encyclopedia of just yeah stretches that I might want to try out and feel. Yeah, there's like definitely different ways to use it. Like you can try out different stretches. Or one of those books is they lay it out in fifteen lessons, but no one ever follows the lessons, which is meant to guide you to the course that they would teach at A and U. And it'd be pretty beneficial if people did. But once again, even with all the photos and all the stuff in the book. You still don't get the nuances in the technique. Mm-hmm. Really think the partner stuff needs to be taught in person, but you can definitely experiment with it. Mm-hmm. Then third book, well, it could be not trying. Yeah, I'm just trying to think if there's another interesting one. I know because there's the, oftentimes it's like there's infinite amounts of well, there's so many yeah. books that you feel like you could recommend. Be like, oh, but there's maybe something wrong with it. Or there's, yeah, there's lots of competing ones. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Should have given me this question beforehand. I could have went through. And I know I could have gone through. I'm sorry. Yeah, fuck it. I recommend American Gods by Neil Gaiman. It's my favorite book. Uh, yes, I vaguely know who Neil Diamond is. Neil, yeah. What's the American Gods? American Gods. It's a book where it's like a road trip book where he wrote a long rambly tale involving like gods falling out of favor. It's kind of fantasy literature, but, but it's of an underlying underlying kind of like it's supernatural but not quite but it is and it kind of has the main character in the book doesn't really know what's going on for quite a lot of the book he's a bit slow to catch on mm-hmm. but it's 
Very long. I've read it so many times. It's just so good. And you always find new stuff in it. Okay, cool. So I like it. That was my favorite one. It's definitely checking out. Fun. And then finally, three people that you've learned stuff from. I guess we could always already fill in some of them. Yeah. So I'd consider say Kit Lachlan would be my biggest mentor in flexibility training. You know, he mightn't say that, but still learned a lot. <laughs> learned a lot from like probably more from the offhand comments he gives on things than his practice directly, which I've learned a lot from as well. But He's just an encyclopedic of knowledge of kind of things that help out. And, you know, co-star of Olivia, who also, his partner, who also does stretch therapy. She's mm. also the subtle knife of stretch therapy. Always has, like, doesn't speak as much as Kit. It's just hard to do, obviously. But mm -hmm. uh, she always has, like, very good points. So I learned a lot from them. Then, say, Mikhail, who I do handstand factory with. Between us, we just have, like... We've had an ongoing dialogue about handstands and training and what's important and how to distill this practice out and yeah. what it means. So we have the podcast going and what you see in the podcast is probably a fraction of what we talk about handstands and other stuff. So that and then my own coach, Serge Auger from Dash One, who I learned a lot of my sort of Taoist physical training from. Okay. Uh, and that being, I can't remember the name of the martial art. Uh, Dash one, so D A space X U N A N, which is the name of the school. But then the martial art, like we train sort of the three big ones, Tai Chi, Xing Yi, and Baogua. But then we also train Zirenman, which is the kind of speciality, which is natural boxing, which is. Okay. Yeah. Natural boxing. Yeah, it's hard to describe. It's. Yeah. Glorified thing is like get in and hit the person really hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically. <laughs> It and there's ways to do that. Underrated. Yeah, it's you know it's a lot of a uh, like the fighting system was like an older Chinese fighting system, so it's nuanced in its own self, but it has to be applicable very quickly, and it's just learning how to deliver power. Like this kind of thing, a lot of it relies on like they knew you know in ancient China it's like. When shit kicks off, your adrenaline kicks in. Didn't have these words for it, they're different words. Adrenaline kicks in, your fine motor reflexes go to shit. Mm -hmm. So all you're left with is basically glorified wailing. So basically, <laughs> how can we teach you to do that as effectively as possible? And that was kind of, yeah. And then as you get a bit better at these things, you get a bit more relaxed and things. You can have a bit of nuance, but yeah, a lot of it comes down to like, oh, how do I swing my arm as hard as possible? <laughs> and just hopefully have a strategy for keeping my head safe. <laughs> Um, okay thank you very yeah, much no for the chat I enjoyed it as always yeah. I was learning something um, and I guess time to do something a little bit more less less comfortable than sitting on a sofa and, and, yeah. and chatting I'm looking forward to the sauna section of this but <laughs> the cold uh, the cold take yeah you're not you're not alone you're not <laughs> alone we already had a few minutes <laughs> yeah, ready. So, I would say there's been somewhat of uh, evolution within maybe physiotherapy in general that is like uh, against soft tissue therapy. Yeah. And sort of saying that it's somewhat useless. And I have, I guess I can see the argument for and against, but yeah. do you have an opinion on uh, soft I, tissue therapy? I think it's one of these things, like, I think I tend to agree with the physios in terms of, like, okay, rubbing your sore lower back, it's going to give some temporary relief but it's probably not going to fix the cause. Yes. 
So I agree completely there, but I do think we have to meet the patient somewhere. There's this expectation of someone goes in. I like, you know, I do stuff that with my clients, broaches onto physiotherapy. I'll give them a bit of massage and stuff because I know it's going to make them feel good. I know that they go, okay, I feel a bit better. And now we go do the deadlifts and the other stuff that we might need to do. So I think there is a place for it. I think it's just, as a, this is the thing, everything goes in, you know, too high. And it's like, this will fix all your problems. You can just go to massage, smash, foam roll, whatever, and I'll make go. It doesn't, but if you can get an acute driver of some kind of relief, I think it's important. I think it's an important modality to understand its limitations and its applications. It's not necessarily a binary thing, it's uh, yeah. on think, spectrum. Like That's the kind of thing, like someone comes in with a sore neck and we go, oh, it's just, you know, your desk set up and all this stuff. We can explain it to them, but we give them a bit of a massage. Go, okay, that'll feel a bit better. Oh, it feels a bit better. Okay, here, you can do a little bit yourself by this. But we need to fix, like, how you're sitting at your desk and, you know, make this a bit better and just these kind of things. So it's kind of, it's definitely one of those things like it is, you know, if you're going into your physio and that's all they're doing, I'll dry needle and massage you and everything. Yeah. It's an acute thing. You feel great for a day or two and then things start to come back. Whereas you kind of need that kind of like, okay, we'll do something to make you a bit more comfortable. And then we we'll try and fix this or guide you on to how you might approach it. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's a binary. I think it's shit. I just think it's overused and oversold. Yes. Yeah. I like think a lot of things. Partly down to the expectation as well, like people, yeah. people go in and expect yeah. you to do something. Yeah, or, and like, you know, there's value in them, but at the same time, it is like, this is the thing, it's a skill. And like, I've had a lot of massages over the years, probably only had like about four or five people who was like, okay, that was actually really good. Yeah. And I got something, a lot out of it, where other people it's just like, oh, this massage, you feel good. We can't just count that as something, I feel good. Yeah. But at the same time, there's been no real lasting anything from it. No. Um, I guess following on from that, soft tissue work with flexibility training, yeah. Uh, same thing, you have like the Kelly Sturette origins yeah. of smashing and doing all this stuff. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts on soft tissue work with flexibility? I tend not, this thing, I tend not to encourage it. I tend to discourage it actually. <laughs> but at the same time, in a specific thing, if someone's like, oh, I'm really tight in my calves the day after leg training, but I need to do something that involves a bit more dorsiflexion and it's limiting me, it can be a very good acute driver. So it's like, okay, well, this, here's a ball, here's how you do it. But this whole blanket, like I have to roll, smash, everything before a session to get ready it's like if you're constantly coming back and needing to do that to establish a range of motion your training is not driving this permanent or semi-permanent adaptation we're looking for so once again it's like it's generally like i consider like most of the time it's a time thing as well it's like it's a waste of time if i'm programming for someone to have them like i know they have an hour hour and a half in the gym yeah 20 minutes that i spent foam rolling is a waste of time unless it's like something very targeted very specific and go okay my pec's really tight after doing dips the other day and feels thing i need to do some handstands okay we get that acute effect but at the same time if you're not doing actual training that was going to change it and slowly get you this range of motion where you need yeah yeah, yeah. it's just it's there's yeah. better ways um, yeah so it's it is something yeah i kind of actively discourage it with clients but at the same time i will pull it out of the tool bag when needed mm -hmm. i think that's probably fair um one of the videos we made several years ago now yeah. was on the ballistic pancake flexibility drill yeah uh, we kind of touched on this as well like people's attitudes or the thoughts around ballistic stretching in general uh, yeah. that is in slightly dangerous I know you have some different thoughts. What were yeah, your thoughts I on it? Just think the danger is overstated, and most of your danger will come from either incorrect performance of the exercise. Like, this is the thing you tell people to start bouncing, they start going uncontrolled. There has to be some kind of control in it, it has mm -hmm. to be kind of limited and constrained. People just go too hard. Like, if you look at the research on ballistic, ballistic stretching, they're talking three to five degrees ranges of motion where people are suddenly bouncing themselves down. The other thing what gets people is they get greedy. Like, it's a process that you just have to do yeah. and just accept that, like, okay, maybe it's just not going to get better every day. 
or maybe it's not it's like oh touch touch and just not try and force it just go in just repeat the repetitions at a very casual experience yeah the, gr- the greedy aspect is definitely yeah. something like especially if you're pushing you're like oh i've never got this far before and you're yeah. like oh i can go a little bit further yeah. i can i can push a little bit more and that's when yeah the uh, as you suggested was it the forest the yeah. tigers in the forest are gonna yeah, the tigers in the forest will get you <laughs> so you just gotta like explore the forest gently it's one of those like it's this is the thing i'm gonna associate with ballistic stretching i just think it's a modality that's effective yeah but at the same time, you could probably get all your results doing passive stretching, mm-hmm. just relaxed passive stretching, some training that uses your range of motion, and you probably get the exact same results if you wanted them. Yeah. But at the same time, like it's effective and it works. You're not just a flexibility wizard. <laughs> uh, I know you teach lots of things. Yeah. Like obviously, I've I've coached with you for strength, handstands, all that sort of stuff. So I wanted to to talk some some interesting ones of handstands. Um, the straight line. Yeah, uh, I have a lot of people who often say to me like, "Oh, how do I get a straight line on my handstand? Isn't perfectly straight." Yeah, how important do you think having a straight line handstand I, is? This is the kind of thing we have to think that a lot of people. The straight line has reached a thing what I call peak shift. I don't call it. I got the name from somewhere else. Peak <laughs> shift is when something that defines a discipline gets overemphasized. So we see this say in ballet. If you look at original ballet, the turnout and the high kicks and the jumps they were done, but they weren't defining of that discipline. Yeah. And now people are like. Having a normal degree of hip turnout, yeah, and but now it's like you have to have a hundred and eighty degree turnout. Okay. Like a lot of people, a lot of people genetically just can't do that, so then they end up injured from this. Same with say Tai Chi. Tai Chi, if we go back to the rules, Tai Chi, the guys who found the Tai Chi as we know it, they were criminals. They ran gambling halls, protection rackets, uh, bodyguards, all this kind of shit that we associate with people who can kick a bit of ass. Yeah, and they all have like kill records, not even fight records, kill records. <laughs> but then Tai Chi as a kind of peak shift kind of happens. Like, oh, we have this slow kind of formula which is a very small part of the original stuff oh, really? and that became oh being really slow it has benefits but it's kind of like if you go boxing it's like okay i'll practice my jab i'll do it slow so i can feel the connection i'll make sure my hand is staying up from a parry but then you start after laying bags and doing sparring and other stuff and all this kind of got dropped just to emphasize this kind of slow relaxed thing yeah so it's the same with the handstand where if we look at the line there's the mechanical line where we're trying to get a plane of mass so if you imagine we cut the body into like very thin sheets of paper and we're trying to get as much of those sheets of paper converging over the base of support and this gives us the mechanical line so we're kind of making a differential equation basically an integral equation of these all these planes of mass and this will get us stacked up on the straight line Mm -hmm. and what we see a lot is people are looking at the arms and the back and there, if you look at it, their line isn't actually straight. It's actually got a slight curve to it. Not a big one, but a slight curve. This slight curve is incredibly aesthetic. If we think of Roman column architecture, the columns aren't straight up. They're kind of got a curve and a bulge to them, which yeah, makes them more aesthetic. Sense. So people aim for this kind of very nice aesthetic, but it's not actually the most efficient line for balancing. So the most efficient line for balance sometimes doesn't look as straight because like to keep the knees over the hips, over the shoulders, then depending on the angles of your humerus attaching the shoulders the arms might actually be slightly behind the wrist and your shoulder will be directly over this uh this basically where the plane of mass is projecting down into the base of support so it's definitely it's definitely think something ever should aspire to be able to choose the aesthetic of their handstand as they want this kind of thing mm-hmm. but it's not actually the most mechanically efficient so sometimes a less straight line is more efficient for you down to bone structure but at the same time like if you can't get your shoulders up overhead and other stuff then maybe we need some work and sometimes you just will never be able to get your shoulders overhead so it's that kind of thing like we've been on a bit of a crusade lately to uh 
Except the banana handstand as a valid handstand. Yes. Particularly as a learning tool. All it's handstands like, are beautiful. All handstands are beautiful. And, you know, it's just as long as you can choose to do a handstand. Choose to do, I want my handstand to look like this. Mm-hmm. I want it to do this. Then it's fine. There's also, there's an acceptance like, okay, I need to stretch my shoulders a bit, my lats, and just get more flexible. I need more strength in my upper back to maintain the line. But I'm not going to limit my balance training because you learn a lot from balancing in an arch handstand. Mm-hmm. You can learn a lot of balance. You can build up your time, endurance, conditioning, the wrists and all this. Instead of just going like i have to be against the wall perfectly straight before i start balancing yes yeah so we need to think like learning balance is a different skill than displaying active flexibility which is essentially what the line is yeah i like, I like the way you describe it as like it's a choice it's a, almost a stylistic choice and then yeah. finding what is what is right for you yeah um you mentioned shoulders a lot but i thought that handstands were all about <laughs> your core <laughs> yeah this is one of those other ones like it's basically like one of the roots of this comes from gymnastics where the, the handstand is more of a vector for acceleration and being able to maintain this very tight core basically gives us a plyometric exercise that if i go arched suddenly everything will react and swing so if we think of all our swinging skills tumbling skills we want to be able to go very tight into this stretch happens in an arch position and that snaps us back in which gives us a lot of power generation yeah so core is very important for handstands it's important for some people if you're a bit more hypermobile and just don't have the strength in the upper back yet. Yeah, you don't want limbs just flying. Yeah, you anywhere. want to have some control. But at a certain point, once your shoulders and fingers are strong enough, it should be the same level of core as you would be in standing with your arms overhead. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot. And it's, yeah, it's like there's some guy on Instagram. I'm sorry, I forget your name, but the chat, Mazen, M-A-I-Z-E-N, I think. And he was sick of people saying it's all core, so he bought an EMG unit. And he started going like, look, here's a press handstand, here's a tuck planche to the handstand. Everyone's saying it's core, measuring the core activation. It's obviously working. Yeah. Measuring the shoulders and then plotting the graphs beside each other and shoulders is up to the ceiling. And the <laughs> core is just like a little middling thing. That's really cool. I yeah. mean, because you're never going to get, there's never going to be a study or yeah. like done really on hand balancing. I can't remember. Unless I guess crazy, yeah. crazy popular. There's a bit from the gymnastics kind of sports things but there's not a lot yeah because it's just seen as by the time you get to the stage where people think of studying stuff it's just so ingrained in people yeah that they're just it's just taken for granted but yeah that was pretty funny i really appreciate a lot a big shout out to him for that yeah that's really cool i didn't i didn't realize that was done and like it's surface emg it's got its limitations he's pretty lean so the limitations aren't too bad but it's still just like it's not like they're kind of close yeah, to if each they, other if they were close, yeah there's like, okay, yeah there's some measurement and you have to collate all the stuff from all the different ab muscles working like that was like shoulders are up here when it's mm-hmm. Pressing, doing tuck plan, shoulders and upper back, and everything else is down here. Um, last question for you, and if you don't want, if you want to answer this one, because the it's to do with you having a uh, child, yeah. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, kids shouldn't necessarily strength train; it might inhibit growth, it might undo these other things. Like, what's your thoughts with encouraging or incorporating training into your, your kid think, growing up? I think it's one of those things like i think all children should be active and this is my own personal views everyone's free to disagree yeah yeah absolutely and i think they should all be active i think everyone can agree on that have some kind of activity some kind of unstructured play where it's like here you go here's a playground there's no guidelines use it Mm -hmm. we bring our daughter to the playground and she's like she's only one now so she's still going but when it gets some kids need a push to do stuff and you know you should be encouraging like what do you want to try dance class oh do you like it okay just try it out see because there's community and there's other stuff that can get into because it takes a while to build a passion for something yeah yeah so you have to be open then you also have to be open to like oh you, you were doing i don't know soccer 
like last term but you don't like it anymore but you're really good at it i want to do something else that's fine too i think i really against this kind of i understand why people do it particularly in the states when it's like okay we're going for college scholarships and other stuff and everyone else is doing this it's a weapons race and these scholarships are worth so much money yeah and particularly for low-income families where it's like okay this is a step out of poverty for this person mm-hmm. if they go in even if they don't turn pro yeah. they get all their full ride scholarship and they get an education what they wouldn't have been able to afford so yeah. it's very important in these situations personally emotionally i'm against it but i understand that logic where you do it but at the same time i think early specialization isn't great i think there should be a range of activities sure yeah and just yeah. even just to, even just expose you get to things they might like or might so they develop like i like this i don't like that that's great and then it's like it comes down to the training thing it's like i remember say when i was doing rugby in first year in secondary school it yeah. was we were told strength training was really bad till you were 17 or 18 till your bones had thing yeah we were out there pushing a scrum machine with eight guys attached to you and like <laughs> wrestling guys to the ground and like this is kind of strength training like yeah. you know these kind of things like someone has the ball and you just have to hug them and try kind of get them, yeah. maximum isometrics yeah or like all this stuff so it is strength training it's just it's not explicitly stated or carrying guys on your shoulders while you're running the pitch and all things where like if we made a device for this and sold it people are like oh that's great exercise <laughs> but it exists in all these things you see it wrestling gymnastics like you know, every kind of sport I'd done over this had some kind of strength training in it. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't putting weights on the body, but lifting a person, doing squats with them in a gymnastics class. Yeah, yeah. That's weight training. If you had maybe a sport as a kid that you thought would make the person into an absolute beast growing up. Gymnastics. Gymnastics. Gymnastics, like I will be encouraging my daughter to do gymnastics <laughs> or acrobatics up until about age 12. And that's what I think a lot of the noxious side of competitive gymnastics kicks in. Yeah. And particularly when the kids have a bit of talent and they're like, oh, you're the right size and shape. Your parents are the right size and shape, very important. And then it's like, well, we're going to stream you for that. And then like new one girl is on the Irish Olympic team for gymnastics and years ago and she done pretty well in the youth olympics and like she was on like a low carb diet like a basically a keto diet at age 15 to keep her not that she was overweight she was treaded and she had you know, like she's yeah. short mostly very thick like dense what the way i describe you'd pick her up and you're like you can't get fingers into this girl because she's so dense yeah yeah uh, she's just like she's on a low carb diet when she's training like 30 hours a week yeah it's not these kind of things and like it wasn't because she was overweight it's just like oh this is the optimum weight for you so we have to keep you here and shit like that and these things you know they happen in every discipline yeah, like, yeah. even rugby and other stuff he's not immune from eating disorder or potential things that would cause eating disorders I guess from a from some perspective it's the sacrifice that yeah. they deem as whoever is advising is deems re- yeah. required to achieve the outcome yeah so from about age 12 was when I noticed this coming in and you know gymnastics discredit has done a huge amount to get away from this stuff mm. and the, the coaches are much better educated on these things yeah. and it is better but at the same time there is maybe even the coaches aren't driving it but the other kids can be at certain points same with like ballet and dance it's like oh you have to be sticked in and mm-hmm. I just have normal woman proportions which have a bit more legs and ass and like oh no yeah yeah like these things happen a lot so it's kind of you want to keep it away Yes. As best you can. I think that's fair. Right, um, done with that. We're going to do some cold. That's quick. I do want to say one thing. I hope everyone appreciates. I normally don't like taking my top off for fitness stuff. No. I have a physical deformity here, pectus, which means my organs are fucked. So, you know, I hope people appreciate that I'm stripping down for you. No, nice. I do. Yes, I appreciate I it. Never do. Right, sir. Ready? No. No. Oh. <laughs> you go. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, first question. Yeah. Oh, cold. Pretty cold. <laughs> flexibility or mobility? Mm, flexibility. <laughs> Coffee or pre-workout? Both. 
<laughs> Both. You put the pre-workout in the coffee, or then place the pre-workout. <laughs> uh, music or podcast? Uh, mix. Any music. If you're it's, training. Yeah, music on. Okay. Do you have uh, a favourite flexibility drill? Long lunge. The long lunge. Yeah, long lunge. Perfect. Any particular reason? It's people just think it's one thing, but it's actually many things. And there's so much you can do in it once you kind of control all the bits the body can do. Cool. Favorite handstand drill on the uh, run side? Hook slides for beginners and intermediates, and then uh, focused intent work in one arms, like learning how to actually collate the push into one very small area. Yeah. Push through it. So you're you're queuing early yesterday. Yeah. on how to press specifically in the part of his hand. Yeah, exactly. And just use that without changing the body geometry, just cranking the voltage up. What's one thing that people don't include in their practice that they should? Some kind of structured relaxation practice. Does so, this count as structured relaxation? No. <laughs> it has to be like very chill. Like relaxation is a skill. I've learned this with Gil Lockner. It's something you can practice and get better at. Mm -hmm. And something, like there's so many ways of doing it. You have to find something that works for you meditation just lying down on the floor even just like getting cozy with a book and reading that yeah it's something where you're like okay i'm just going to go and do this and have it actually scheduled into your day or week i think that's very missing because we're always training so hard yeah that's hopefully point. we're always pushing but then we think oh i'm gonna chill it's like can you like maximize your chill if you could choose one training modality for the rest of your life what would you make it one training modality hmm like in terms of variety and interest, probably some kind of bodyweight training. It's like bodyweight training. It's a lot you can do, and it's adaptable. Like you can always, you can always meet someone at where they're at, particularly where you're at. Like you can meet an eight-year-old bodyweight training mm -hmm. where they're at. I can remember, like, just an example, like an ex of mine, her kilometer broke her hip and had a hip replacement. And first bit of rehab we got was really shit. It was just like slide your leg in and out, open your leg to the side. But then the physio came in, he was like, okay, what are you going to do with rehab expecting, you know, jank? He's like, you're going to do squats and lunges and that's it. Nice. You're just going to do, he's like, I want you to do a hundred squats and lunges a day, spread out through the day. And we're like, okay. And he showed us how to adapt a squat and lunge to a 90 year old woman who had a hip replacement and had to use a cane. And this was like, you know, it's not, yeah, it wasn't anything I'd seen before. I was like, oh, but it made total sense. Yeah. And it was like a rehab would, because we were kind of there, just, you know, as coaches, like, okay, you got 10 reps, okay. <laughs> 30 minutes later, okay, we'll do another five, you know, yeah, make sure you've got the reps in. Rehab she's back walking without the cane, going down the stairs in about three weeks. Yeah, I think certainly as people age, you, you want to give them as much assistance as possible, whereas yeah. actually it sometimes is the, yeah. the worst thing as well. Last question. Uh, you're our last stop in Ireland. Yay. Why did you choose to return to return. your homeland? Mix of, it made more sense financially in terms of this tax and everything like that was basically one of the big drivers. Yeah. Uh, business supports here for anyone running business are unreal. Like the government is very generous. If you're, once you start getting up to a certain level of a medium enterprise, there's a lot of business supports. Mm -hmm. It's like family as well. It's like, okay, we just family and friends. It's like wherever else we were living, it's just like, it's a bit hard to make friends when we're living in Berlin. Yeah. It's a bit, you know, London's a bit, yeah, I lived in London for quite a while and it's like, I'm not really in touch with anyone living in London. It's a bit like, I don't know. It's kind of like a gas station where people come and go mm -hmm. and like no one's really aiming moves to London and aims to be there forever yeah, and yeah. eventually get sick of it and then go home or go somewhere else. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. Well, uh, I think you probably do have the record for who's lasted the longest in the cold tub. You've gone. How much longer do we have? Uh, so I've, I've run out of questions now so you can stay as, <laughs> as long as you like. I have to like really wreck people <laughs> on this one. 
thank you very much for joining us on the podcast and i'd like to say thanks for all of the help and education you've given me over the years as well because i think kind of mentioned it at some point in this video um but yeah much appreciated i always appreciate when people use the teaching i give so thank you for using it and applying it (laughs) definitely a thing beautiful collation of knowledge yeah yeah I'm going out. I'm just wrecking everyone for this record. <laughs> the timer is still going. I think that's enough to wreck most people. <laughs> hmm? Beginning the shiver. It's not pleasant, I'll let everyone know that. (laughs) There was less screaming than some guests.